0: are
1: listening to The Rooted Podcast, the conversation advanced and gospel-centered youth ministry.
0: Welcome to The Rooted Podcast. My name is Clark Phobes, and I am part of the steering committee of Rooted, and we're here on campus, on site, at Westminster Theological Seminary in Escondido, California, and I have the incredible privilege to be joined by Dr. Julius Kim, uh, Dr. Julius Kim is the Dean of Students and Professor of Practical Theology at Westminster, California, where he's been at his post since two, the year 2000. He primarily teaches in preaching and practical ministry and things of mission and evangelism. And he also has a PhD uh, from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Historical Theology. And he's also currently the Associate Pastor at New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, where he oversees the worship ministry there. Um, Dr. Julius Kim, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any other, maybe, background you want to introduce or anything more about yourself that you'd like to share with the, or just share maybe about your family, your passions? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um,
1: I was born here in Los Angeles, uh, California, but I actually spent the first 10, 12 years of my life actually in Seoul, Korea. Oh, wow. Yeah, so my father came as a a graduate student. He did his graduate work here, and I think he thought that he was going to stay here Uh, To work and raise a family, but then an opportunity came for him to go back to Korea, and to take over a company that was um, bankrupt. And so we went, we moved back to Korea, and I went to an an English-speaking private school. And so though I I learned English growing up, I was raised uh, in in in, in Korea, and and so I I suppose one of the more interesting things about me is, while while many Koreans were immigrating to the United States in the 70s, I actually moved back to Korea. And lived there for about ten years, and so I really am thankful for that uh, kind of bicultural experience. Mm-hmm. I think it provides me with a perhaps a little bit more background and sensitivity uh, to those in, in kind of bicultural situations, and I think that's really helped my teaching and pastoring and ministry.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially with the, there's a good amount of Korean population here at
1: Westminster. Yeah, yeah, we have a long-standing, Westminster has a long-standing history with Uh, the Presbyterian Church, and one of the first missionaries that went to Korea over 100 years ago were from the Presbyterian Church, and as a result, one of the largest churches in Korea is the Presbyterian Church, and as a result, we've had a lot of students Mm -hmm. uh, come from uh, Korea, and uh, so we're we're thankful for the opportunity to partner with, uh, not only the Korean Mm -hmm. Church, but actually the global church, Mm -hmm. in in trying to raise up leaders uh, that will preach Christ and crucified. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, this is a side, but uh, Sammy Moffitt was a Presbyterian missionary That's who right. uh, converted my, the first line of my family. My Come on. side. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. In, in, uh, you guys go um, back to Sam Moffitt. Yeah, we That's do. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my mother's side, her mm-hmm. mom... And so, my grandmother's grandmother was the first convert in her village. Really? From Sammy Moffat, yeah.
1: You should write that down. <laughs> you should write something. You should write she, on she's down. like
0: in the process of documenting it. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of cool. She would always tell me that growing up. Like, know oh, your roots. Yeah. That's Presbyterian.
1: Awesome.
0: <laughs> no, I never went to a Presbyterian church. <laughs> There's still time, my friend. There's still there time. Is. <laughs> <laughs> there is, yeah. Well, um, Julius has also written a recent book on preaching called Preaching the Whole Council of God. It was published in 2015 with Zondervan, and uh, I'm actually pretty excited about that book, um, both as a preaching resource, but also as as an Asian American voice in preaching. I think there's been maybe a lack of that uh, up until more recently. And so in your book, you you talk about how it's a coming together of the technical and the practical, um, both the preaching as the delivery, but also how do you form and craft a sermon um, so maybe you could just talked a little bit about the book, um, especially one question I had, I haven't gotten too much into it, um, but is how it, can this be maybe a complement to other books of the same vein, like christ Center preaching, even dating back to lloyd Jones's preaching and preachers, or even Tim Keller's recent book on preaching, and you talked a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, when, you, when you start mentioning those names, it's a little <laughs> embarrassing because in many ways I, I stand on their shoulders mm-hmm. and, and upon their influence and teaching in my own life, and so it's hard to compare. And so perhaps it would be better just to talk about my book and what are the the things I'm trying to do with it. Um, Essentially, it it was born out of my desire to provide a textbook for my students because what I was doing was lecturing on the one hand, but also having them read from various books. And I thought, you know, there's not one book that kind of captures everything that I'm looking Mm -hmm. for in a kind of first-year seminary preaching book. Uh, the closest was Brian Chappell's excellent book, Christ yeah. Preaching. We used that here for 15 years. Yeah, I've, I've been here 16 years, and last year was the first year I used my book. We still read <laughs> Brian's book. And so, Brian, if you're listening to this, we still <laughs> use your book. Uh, but uh, So what, what I try to do is was help the first-year seminarian mm. think through kind of the soup and nuts. Mm. Uh, what, 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 are, what is the process moving from text to sermon? Mm-hmm. And so the book is essentially divided into two major parts. The first part is what you're doing in your study. Is the interpretive act, the, the interpretation, the hermeneutics mm-hmm. of the text, and what are some of the questions you need to be asking and thinking about <clears throat> as you approach a text. And then the second half of the book is more on communications. But the first half is on interpretation. The second part is on communication. How do you even design a sermon, mm-hmm. put it together structurally, organizationally, and then delivering it mm-hmm. for maximum impact and influence. And so that was kind of the idea behind it. And, and so I, I did that. I, I think, um, so on the one hand... It provides some of the best of the old. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was trained uh, by Ed Clowney, one of my mentors, on yeah. a biblical theological, redemptive historical Christ-centered preaching. And, in terms of at least an interpretive model, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm borrowing from a lot of people like that: at Clowney, uh, lloyd Jones, Brian Chapel, etc. But I think there's some some new areas in which I've been I've been thinking about and researching. For example, the area of neuroscience, mm-hmm. and I've been doing some more research in the area of neuroscience and the and the implications of neuroscience to not only the speaker, but also the listener. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as preachers, sometimes we approach the preaching task as if, you know, I've got the best things for you to, <laughs> to, to, to listen to, right? And we don't really think so much about the listener and what they're experiencing in that moment, and, and frankly, what they can actually take in and what they cannot, uh, in, in light of their working memory. <clears throat> and so in light of that, I've been thinking more about how do we even design our sermons and deliver our sermons from maximum attention retention, Mm -hmm. integration of the material, ultimately that through the Holy Spirit's help there might be transformation Mm -hmm. of life. And so just trying to bring the best of the old and maybe be borrowing some of the new Mm -hmm. and the implications of neuroscience to the way listeners process information Mm -hmm. orally through their ears as opposed to through their eyes Mm -hmm. and so that we can ultimately help um, listeners Mm -hmm. gain more understanding and hopefully change in their own life through the power of the word yeah. yeah so i know that's a lot but that's kind of what i'm trying to do through the book yeah no that's great
0: i i, uh, I think it's interesting when you talk about the, the neuroscience how the listener perceives the message and takes it in mm-hmm. um i think that's probably a big part of youth ministry too is mm-hmm. how we as youth ministers factor that in with developing brains and students who are still maturing mm-hmm. so you you probably teach plenty of youth pastors here i'm guessing i do um So if you could talk maybe a little bit about, if you have any philosophy that you tell them or you could tell us about preaching to youth versus preaching to adults, if you think it should be different, uh, if so, how much, if any uh, specifics, or even if we should just preach the same to
1: youth and to adults. Yeah, it's a difficult question. It's 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 a long, long answer, but let me see what I can do and try to break it down. I mean, on the one hand, it's true, preachers ought to be able to preach to whoever's sitting before them. Uh, whether they're seventy years old or seven years old, and should be able to be sensitive to the to the people God has placed into their lives, mm-hmm. and to pastorally know them, love them, ultimately to feed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the one hand, yes, I think I think preachers ought to be able to preach to everyone. Mm-hmm. However, if the Lord provides opportunities to preach to sp- sp- uh, specific segments of our congregation, whether they be senior citizens, mm-hmm. they might be soldiers in a particular Bible study. Maybe our church is right next to an army base. Uh, Or, so you have senior citizens, soldiers, or students. Whatever the situation may be, I think wise pastors and wise preachers then. Because I'm assuming preachers are also pastors. And I would never separate the two. So wise pastors who are then also preaching as part of the subset of their shepherding pastoral ministry has to know their people. How do they think? What makes them tick? Uh, how have they been educated? What do they know? What do they not know? What are the big questions that they're facing in life? And how how does the text and the truths that the text is presenting answer some of the questions that they have in their mind in their unique stage of life? And youth have unique questions, unique concerns, unique challenges, unique objections (laughs) to some of these truths in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, I think wise pastors... Who are preaching. So wise preachers, wise pastors who are preaching are sensitive to that, are knowledgeable of that, and are able to bridge perhaps sometimes this big chasm that, that seems to occur mm-hmm. when preachers are thinking about, how do, I, how do I minister to this 15-year-old girl who's struggling with cutting herself?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, who has, who has um, identity issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, body issues, etc. How does this truth from this text meet her where she is? Mm-hmm. And so she's going to have unique concerns and unique complaints, unique questions. Uh, so, so I think preaching has to be both of that, kind of being able to be general enough to be able to minister to whoever's sitting before you, and yet specific enough and pastoral enough to say, hey, based on what I know of her, this 15-year-old girl and the struggles she has, mm-hmm. how can I bring this truth of the gospel, the gospel of grace, mm-hmm. into her life so that it might her perhaps change her Without, of course, mentioning her by name. or talking about her unique counseling issues. Those are just things that I'm hopefully common sense will dictate. Yeah. Not to mention her name in preaching. But in our study, as we're prayerfully considering the text, the truth of the text, I mean, we we're, we're, we should be crying. We should be mm-hmm. crying for girls like her in our congregation. Saying, Lord, would you give me the wisdom through your word yeah. to minister to her? And so so the answer is kind of a yes and a no. Mm-hmm. Um should 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 they be youth-specific type of preaching? Well, yes and no. Yeah, And uh, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of the way I approach yeah. uh, that issue of kind of particular audiences that sit in our congregation. Mm-hmm. So the
0: process of contextualization to a specific subset of That's audience. exactly right. I just didn't want to use that big word. Yeah. You know? no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah.
1: How do we contextualize without compromising the truth of the gospel? Yeah. That's the that's challenge, mm-hmm. but that's also the joy. Yeah, Because when you do that well and people's lives change, then the Lord's doing something.
0: Right. That's, that's essentially exactly. the work of all ministers, all pastors, all evangelists that you have to do anywhere you are. That's exactly right. right. I mean, that's in the right. words of, I think Dr. Kelly says, everyone is contextualizing somewhere.
1: Whether you know it or not, right, right. you're doing it. When you talk to your wife, for example, I <laughs> tell all the time. <laughs> when you're talking to your wife and you're trying to apologize for the stupid <laughs> thing that you did, what do you do? Before you speak, you're actually thinking about every word you're going to say. You're thinking about your facial expressions. You look her directly in the eye. Why? Maximum impact. So she believes what you say. (laughs) Now, somehow, when preachers get up to preach, and they're somehow talking about very difficult subjects about life, Mm. why do we read our manuscripts? Mm. Why do we speak as if we're not talking to them Mm. as real humans? So we do this intuitively Mm. when we're talking to people we love. As pastors, as under-shepherds of Christ, we're called to love our people as Christ loved them. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about these difficult subjects, that ought to have an impact. Mm-hmm. So we need to be much more intentional and thoughtful about the way we speak. Because we do that anyway. We contextualize. So, so we just need to be more thoughtful. About
0: it. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good observation. Yeah. Um, maybe a follow-up question. This is something that I, I wrestle with a lot in youth ministry. Um, Every day we talk a lot about not being entertainment-driven. We want to be gospel-centered. And I've found that there can be a tendency to be gospel-centered in content, yet entertainment-driven in the delivery. Um, for instance, as I'm prepping, a lot of times I'll think, what's a good illustration to capture their attention? Yeah. And I've wrestled with that tension of I want to reach them where they are, and yet I don't want the sermon to be just preaching my illustrations and applications. I want the text to come forth. So maybe you could speak to that a little bit about that. How do we navigate that line yeah. um, and not be overly drawn especially with youth we want to tend to move towards the illustration the stories the application yeah. just because you know, they have a shorter attention span or
1: we just want to even entertain through our preaching sure what's, what's, what's interesting Clark is that I had that same problem when I preach to adults <laughs> and I think part of that resu- re- resides in the fact that as preachers especially those of us in public ministry mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest idols we face is being people pleasers mm-hmm, yeah. We want to be accepted. We want to be valued. We want to be loved. We want people to like us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always going to be a struggle for us. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the first things we need to do is keep reminding ourselves of our primary task. Mm -hmm. God has called us to be heralds of the king. Mm -hmm. And this image that I talk about in my book, in the first century, you have these people that were called by the king to represent him Mm -hmm. in bringing messages, sometimes messages of warning, that if they don't bow the knee, that the armies will come and wipe them out, or messages of peace and joy. Mm -hmm. Whatever the message was, the herald had a responsibility, actually his life was at stake if he didn't, to represent the king well and to do it in such a way so that the other king knew exactly what the other Mm -hmm. king meant to say. And so regardless of his life, he had to represent the message of the king to the best of his ability. Mm -hmm. Now with that type of mentality, think about when we get to the pulpit. What are we called to do? We're called to represent the king because ultimately at the end of the day, it's not about us. Yeah. Are we faithful to the message of the king? Mm. Now the king at the same time is not a killjoy.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I, I honestly
1: think Jesus, when he's talking in his parables, I think the disciples laughed. I think they <laughs> enjoyed time with it. Yeah. And so if you if maybe entertainment's the wrong word, but being joyful mm-hmm. and being able to laugh at life, those are good things yeah. Yeah. to be able to share with our young people. And so I think having joy in ministry and, uh, and having fun in ministry is absolutely part and parcel of our life together, yeah, yeah. and we should do. It's when we kind of delve, delve from joy and, and happiness and fun to entertainment for the pure sake of receiving the accolades or the acclaim, mm-hmm. because we're so good. That's when it starts bordering into wrong. So perhaps, perhaps one way to think about that is, again, thinking not only about your identity as a herald, mm-hmm. but also thinking about the priority of what you're called to do. The priority, of course, is always to preach the truth. But that truth should never be compromised for beauty. Mm-hmm. And there's a way in which we can speak and even give illustrations, to tell sometimes some jokes, to laugh at life and some of our foibles of life. Mm-hmm. Those elements in our, in our sermons are actually beautiful yeah. because it connects us as real people mm-hmm. to our young people. And so I think you have to have this balance of truth but also beauty. Um, and so I think if you prioritize those things... And then you proportion out your sermon so that, make sure that those receive the, the largest proportion of your mm-hmm. sermon. And then the last, the, the, the rest of the sermon, if you have some other time to do other things, like tell story, mm-hmm. tell, tell, tell illustration stuff, I think those are fine. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think they're necessary, sure. frankly. We can talk about why they're necessary in terms of neuroscience too, frankly. Right. But um, it's just a matter of prioritizing and then proportioning your sermon in light of that. But even before that is making sure that you're aware of your identity mm-hmm. and you're not allowing the pressures of our flesh, mm-hmm. frankly, to govern the decisions we make about our preaching. Yeah. You know, why, why do we need that illustration? Why do we need that joke? etc.? If it's because you feel like maybe they don't like me or maybe <laughs> they think my preaching is boring... Mm-hmm. Then, then we need to think twice. I think. Yeah. But identity, then priority, then proportion. I think are some thing, the key things to remember. Mm-hmm.
0: Identity, priority, proportion. That's yeah. that's a good way of, of thinking about it. I think even just that's encouraging for you to say that that's still something you struggle with in preaching to adults. Um, it's not just a youth specific struggle. It's the struggle of the preacher and finding our identity in Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's really good. That's really helpful. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience in preaching to an Asian-American context versus a Caucasian context. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I I said I'm excited about your book as an Asian voice because I do often think culture comes into play as we think about our audience, we talk about contextualization, even as we think about the way we interact and deliver. And I think you've spent a good amount of time in both Caucasian churches and contexts and Asian-Americans. So Uh, I think you'd be a great voice to speak on that. Yeah, first
1: of all, just let me say how complex... Uh, this this topic is, and mm-hmm. how complex uh, the 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 ideas uh, behind it uh, is. Um, I, I've spent many years in the Korean American church, really born and raised in the Korean American context, and yet later on in life um, have been primarily and a Caucasian, although that's changing more and more as mm-hmm. you know here in America. Yeah. which I think is a good thing. Um, and so what what are some of my my key takeaways? <clears throat> I think one of the key takeaways that I, take, that I took away from my Korean American experience mm. is understanding my identity as not being part of this world. Mm. You know, let me, let me put it this way. You know, when I, when I, was, when I served in the Korean American church, there was a part of me that felt really comfortable mm. because I think there were others who understood my struggles with identity. You know, as, as I was growing up trying to frankly assimilate into American culture, whatever that means, right. into, which is essentially white American <laughs> Yeah. Um, I knew that because people that I talk to and I preach, for example, all all over the country, there are certain parts of the country I preach and I still get this comment, Dr. Kim, your English is quite good. (laughs) And and what can I really say to that? Mm. Except, well, thank you. It better be since I was born and raised (laughs) an educator here in America. But I know what they mean. Mm -hmm. But behind that is this kind of, I think, misunderstanding that the standard of culture is white American experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. And so growing up in the Korean church, there was a part of me that felt really at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I thought, and I said to myself, I can't wait to go to Korea. <laughs> because when I visit Korea, I felt even more at home. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you could probably guess what happened. Just yeah, Korean American goes to Korea, and I felt so out of place. Even though I'm pretty f- uh, fluent in the language because I lived there for 10 years, <clears throat> going back as an adult, I, I, I discovered that culturally, mm-hmm. I'm not Korean. Then when I come back to the States, thinking, oh, I'm back at home. I'm back in America. That's my home. And then I experience mm-hmm. uh, uh, things that occur in my life. that I go, actually, this is not my home either. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that I think is, is sad about that. But then there's another part of me that's actually very thankful for that experience. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's when I really, really realize what the scriptures talk about when it calls us to be pilgrim people. Mm-hmm. That this is ultimately not our home. So my experience not being at home in Korea mm-hmm. and not being at home here in America mm-hmm. reminds me of my, what I, can, I, can I use this big word, eschatological, my eschatological identity. Yeah. That my ultimate identity is in heaven and in Christ. And being united to Christ places me in a whole other world. Mm-hmm. And not, not that I can't live in this world and uh, function in this world and minister in this world. Of course, we're called to do that, right. Right? Uh, to be as light and salt in this world. But ultimately, my identity is in heaven. Paul says my, our citizenship mm-hmm. is in heaven. And that provides me with a lot of perspective and, frankly, peace mm-hmm. in, in the ministry that I do in whatever context. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think one of the things that I've, I've brought to the largely Caucasian church in which I now serve mm-hmm. is helping my Caucasian brothers and sisters kind of see themselves not only outside of their own American identity, mm-hmm. but the next step is in, in terms of a global identity that... that White Anglo-Saxon Protestantism is not the standard by which we all must follow, but that the global church now, Christianity is 70% global, Mm -hmm. 30% North American and England. And so there's Christians everywhere, and we need to be aware of that, and what can we learn from the global church? Uh, But also go beyond that, kind of in concentric circles, your your American identity, your global identity, but then your heavenly identity. And then working backwards from there, Mm -hmm. once you understand your heavenly identity, And all that that entails, how does that impact your global awareness and ministry and prayer life? Mm. And then how does that impact the way you do life together in your own local congregation? And the people, perhaps, that God has placed into your life that you may not even know about in your own community, in your own margins, that are being overlooked because they're different. Mm. They're the other. And so how can we train our people, whether they're Korean American or Caucasian-American, mm-hmm. to think about who's the other that God calls us mm-hmm. to reach, the people that are different from us, not just racially, but economically, socially, culturally. And how can I bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace that he offers, that breaks down walls and barriers, mm-hmm. how can I bring that to them so that they can have freedom and peace as well? And so I, I've talked a lot, I, I understand, and perhaps I didn't even answer your question, frankly. <laughs> no, no problem. But I think those are some of the things that I've learned yeah. Over the years, in my experience in both mm-hmm. the Korean American church, the Asian American church, as well as in the largely Caucasian American
0: church. Yeah. I think you probably, uh, I'm guessing you can. You would answer, you can take those same principles into the pulpit as a preacher. Absolutely. Knowing their culture, <clears throat> drawing them to identity, not in race, but in Christ. Absolutely. And letting that filter through the specifics of life. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great, especially for,
1: for where we're at today, At the whole race, racial discussion's going on. That's right. That's very much needed. And what's interesting is that as I talk to different colleagues in my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, mm-hmm. it's actually my, my, some of my Korean-American friends, my Asian-American friends, I think have been able to pro- provide some real wise ways forward, mm-hmm. you know, largely in this kind of black-white divide. Mm-hmm. And so when I have conversations with my denomination leaders and pastors, and they want my opinion on the black-white issue, they kind of look at me first like, well, you don't really, it's either the, yeah. you don't really get it, yeah. or maybe you have something to offer. Mm. And I think the latter, the maybe you have something to offer, has been really helpful. Mm. Because on the one hand, I think I understand mm-hmm. kind of the white experience, and frankly, the white privilege, because mm-hmm. I've grown up in that. Mm. Um, one, one of the ways that I think Asian Americans are viewed, or in one way, is, is, the, is the model minority. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We're the model minority, because why? is we've made it in yeah. this society what does that mean we've made it to the standards of white excellence right right and actually that's what my parents pushed me to as immigrant mm-hmm. parents they pushed me yeah to, 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 to go to the best schools yeah. to, to be the best that you can be why because the standard of excellence is here right <coughs> excuse me but on the other hand I also understand the black experience because the other side of Asian American is on the one hand we're, v- we're viewed as the model minority mm-hmm. but on the other hand we're always going to be considered the perpetual foreigner, right because we look the way we do, will never fully be accepted. Mm-hmm. Whether people articulate that or not, mm-hmm. that's, that's been my experience at least. Mm-hmm. And so always being on the margins, always being left out, mm-hmm. just because of the color of my skin, or the, or the way my eyes look, for example, mm-hmm. or my black hair. Mm-hmm. This kind of perpetual foreigner experience has also allowed, I think, Asian Americans like myself to understand somewhat, mm-hmm. not all, mm-hmm. of the black experience. And so perhaps um, our experience can provide some wisdom, some grace, some more light, and perhaps less heat, yeah, uh, to the conversation. Yeah. And so I'm 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 hopeful that as, as as Christians who are centered in the gospel, centered in Christ, we'll be able to at least sit down together mm-hmm. and, and frankly weep together over the sin that's dividing us. Yeah. Yeah. And be able to find find unity through the gospel. Yeah. Thanks for speaking into that.
0: One of the challenges of youth ministry that we find is we're not, we're not preaching through necessarily a book of the Bible on Sunday mornings exegetically. A lot of the youth ministries, they're trying to form students in discipleship. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we will preach topically, mm-hmm. theologically. Uh, we will preach exegetically through a certain number of books, but, mm-hmm. but there's more freedom and decision over that. Sure. Um, Maybe you can speak on some advice on how should youth pastors think about planning a preaching calendar or a teaching series yeah. as we're trying to form them in those early stages or, or even pl- uh, plow the sand,
1: uh, sow the seed, and set them up for future fruit. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends, first of all, upon uh, the context of your youth ministry. In most Korean-American contexts, mm-hmm. at least the ones that I've been involved with, in, uh, that's the only preaching they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So meaning they don't hear from the senior pastor at all.
0: Mm-hmm. They right. might
1: hear from him from a joint Christmas service or right. a New Year's service it's where it's, it's translated, <laughs> but but it's in Korean and it's translated. And so in that context, it's very different mm-hmm. from, let's say, my own youth pastor at my own church right now in New Life, where our youth, Sunday mornings, they're, they're coming to the main service and right. listening to our preacher right. and what he's doing. So I... I it depends on your context. But right. So let me, let me speak about the first context, sure. the Korean-American context. Essentially, you're their pastor. Mm-hmm. And the only, the only food that they're receiving, the only nourishment that they're receiving from the Word is from you. Mm-hmm. Then I think that I would give you the advice that I would give to pastors mm-hmm. as they're planning their preaching calendar. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you have to give them a steady diet. Mm-hmm. Just like we have to get the four-four balance. You have to have a balanced diet of food to make us, our bodies healthy. I believe you also need to uh, order your preaching calendar in a balanced way so that they're getting a balanced spiritual diet. So on the one hand, if you're finding that a more topically oriented series for, for your preaching series is helpful to them to answer the kind of questions, concerns that they're facing in their life, then what I would do is I would supplement them my Bible study, whatever you do that on a Wednesday night or a Friday night, Sunday afternoon, whatever you do Bible study to do more working through the grammar of the Bible. Because the logic of the Bible, because topical preaching is more talking about the implications of the truths, the implications of what the Bible says to topics and issues that we're facing around. Those are good. Uh, But if I can use the kind of classical model of grammar, logic, and rhetoric of learning, that's more logic and rhetoric. That's more thinking through the theology of the Bible and applying it to various situations. That's logic and rhetoric. But if you don't have the grammar of the Bible, it's very difficult to understand the logic and rhetoric. And I think this is where a lot of youth pastors may fail, is disregarding the grammar because once they get into college and they're, they're called upon to make their own decisions, they may have some categories and some, some, some systematic understanding of ideas, but if they don't have the foundational understanding of scripture uh, to the logic and rhetoric or to the system, systemizing doctrine and applying it to life. If they don't have the, the foundation of English Bible knowledge, mm-hmm. Korean Bible knowledge, whatever you want to say, yeah. then it's going to be very difficult for them to make those connections. Right. So what I would say in that kind of situation, in a Korean-American, Asian-American context, if you are going to preach more more topically through through doctrines or theology or issues, contemporary issues, make sure you supplement your Bible study with more of a Bible-centered, mm-hmm. walk-through-the-Bible type of experience, so they know more of the the Bible, yeah. the more the nitty-gritty, the, the, the Lego, Lego blocks, uh, et cetera. And, and then I think then vice versa. Then if you're in another context where they're getting good preaching, good expository kind of what we call Lectio Continua preaching, which is through different books of the Bible, which is what we get. And my church, my pastor primarily chooses books of the Bible to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while he might switch it up and do some topical series based on the need. But it's primarily the just Old Testament series or New Testament series, which is wonderful. And that's what our youth pastor does. And then he complements that with more of a topical Mm -hmm. Bible study that he does through the major doctrines of the reformed faith, Mm -hmm. the implications of the doctrines to life Mm -hmm. and contemporary issues. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think balance is key depending upon your context. Yeah. 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 I've been in both of those contexts.
0: Exactly. Like you said, my first one was Korean church. I was the only pastor over the youth. So finding that balance, we went just exegetically through books on Sundays, more topically on Fridays. Now, now I'm in a church where our youth in into the service, um, English speaking, but still Asian American. But, um, so I'm finding, I, I actually, I was doing more exegetical on Fridays mm-hmm. and I actually found there was so much overlap between mm-hmm. our youth ministry and the Sundays that it was an imbalanced diet. Even though I was preaching exegetically, it sounds kind of bad that I, I felt that way, yeah. but I noticed that they needed some of that topical, logical mm-hmm. reasoning through faith in Specific areas of life,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so we kind of went that route, and that's been really helpful for us. Excellent, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could um, bring us back to some maybe the more nitty gritty of preaching, uh, specifically in youth ministry. Um, a lot of youth pastors, especially in the Asian American church uh, or the Asian immigrant church, were kind of thrust into this position of sink or swim and doing that multiple times a week. Yeah. Uh, my experience yeah. in the Korean church was. I was preaching two, three times a week. Uh, I was new in seminary. I was trying to get a handle on how do I sermon prep and present the gospel and the word of God well, but also being new to it, uh, not quite having a handle, and even just not even having enough hours in the day, honestly, to prepare well for the two to three times I had to teach. And so maybe you can offer just some words of maybe advice and even encouragement on, on youth pastors who are struggling to prepare multiple preaching or teaching moments a week. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's
1: a <coughs> excuse me. It's a really difficult life, isn't it? Um, I went through it as well when I was in seminary. When I did my seminary, I was Friday night Bible study, Saturday yeah. catechism, Saturday counseling, Saturday activities, yeah. Sunday morning prayer, Sunday preaching, Sunday Bible study. So you have four, you know, three or four prayers yeah. in addition to all your schoolwork. Yeah, And I did that for four years while I was doing my MDiv. And so I understand it. What, what, were, what were some of my takeaways? One, don't do it if you can't. If you can't <laughs> that's my first advice. Great create, advice. Anything you can do, if you don't have to do it, don't do don't it. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah, don't do it. But uh, I recognize that uh, there's a lot of benefits, too. One, one are the financial benefits that come. Mm-hmm. The Korean church, at least from my experience, has been very generous in providing mm-hmm. support for me while I was in seminary. But it also provided a, a lot of ministry experience that has been vital. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll never regret uh, those years of my life and what I went through. Um, my words of advice is this. Um, first, remember who you are. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Remember that you're just one pastor mm-hmm. in a big church. That you're called to do just one thing. You don't have to save the whole church. Mm-hmm. You don't have to save the whole youth group. Mm-hmm. Remember that you're there for this period of time to just perhaps even just plant some seeds that may, or not, may not even bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And, and be satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. And I remember early on, I had these idealistic notions. I think that when you're young, you think you can conquer the world. You're yeah. invincible. And I'm just going to, this youth group is going to be the <laughs> best youth group ever. And that's a, those are good goals to have, but they're not realistic goals. One, because you're generally young as a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of experience. You don't have a lot of wisdom, yeah. frankly. Young and stupid. Yeah, well, I didn't <laughs> want to say that, but that was me. That was me too. Yeah, that was me. I was really, I was really young and... Perhaps not as well formed, but I thought I was really smart, and I thought I knew everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, youth ministry, if anything else, really kicks you behind and reminds you that you're not all that. Yeah. Remind remind yourself of who you are, and it's okay to not know everything, mm-hmm. to not have all the answers, to not have the perfect sermon, to not have the perfect Bible study. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. So remember who you are. But secondly, remember and more. That was kind of negative. I recognize it. <laughs> Positively, remember what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Remember that what you're doing is, at the end of the day, you're planting seeds. I've used that imagery before. But young people, what they actually, I, from what I remember from my own youth, from my own youth ministry experience, is at that time, they're looking for role models who will love them, mm-hmm. speak into their lives, uh, and not try to change them right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what you're doing is you're, you're, you have the opportunity to plant seeds that will hopefully bear fruit for a long time. So just do that. Mm-hmm. Just do that faithfully. Plant good seeds. Water it well so that the roots will go real deep. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to bear fruit later in their life. I tell a lot of even my seminarians who are just getting out of seminary who could going become youth, or not youth pastors, but primarily pastors of churches. Mm-hmm. My advice to them is you're probably not going to bear fruit for at least three to five years. Mm-hmm. There are going to be exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, what you're going to be doing in the first couple of years, you're going to be pruning, you're going to be raking, you're going to be throwing out a lot of trash, yeah. but you're going to be planting seeds, you're going to be watering. And then as a good farmer, what do you do? You patiently believe in the harvest. Mm-hmm. That's what farmers do. Farmers plant, they do everything in their power to do what they're called to do. And then they allow the sun to do its work. Mm-hmm. And they allow the Lord, the Lord of the harvest, right. to produce fruit. That's the work of ministry. And I think that that image is apt, I think, for youth ministry especially. Mm -hmm. Because youth youth ministry, frankly, you're not going to see a lot of fruit. Mm -hmm. You might see a little bit of change here and there, and that's good. Mm -hmm. And you want to push for that. You want to expect some of that. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is you're planting seeds, frankly, for future pastors. (laughs) So they're going to bear the fruit of your good work. So good pastors... Really good pastors are always thankful for youth pastors Mm. because they're the ones that are able to pick the (laughs) fruit and eat it, the juicy peach that comes off. But who planted those seeds? Mm. Faithful youth pastors who remember who they are and remember what they do. Mm. They're on the front lines. They're going to get stepped on. They're going to be worked over. Mm. But their ministry is so vital for long-term growth for long-term harvest. Mm-hmm. And so if we think of ministry as long-term development, it's just like raising our children. I've got two teenage girls. Please pray for me. Yeah. One's 16, one's 14. And, and as I think about them, as we've thought about them over these years, my wife and I have prayerfully considered, we have 18 years, mm-hmm. give or take, when, before they leave the house to go to college, in which they're trying to now use the skills and, and knowledge that they've learned over the years to, to make decisions on their own. Mm-hmm. So all we can do is prepare them well. That's 18 years. Now, think about ministry in that way. I don't think a lot of mm. pastors think about ministry in terms of an 18-year 18 18 role. They think, how do I survive the next year, <laughs> the next three years? Can I last for, until my first sabbatical? Mm. What if ministry were viewed like the way we raise our children? Mm. Would that change, then, the way we approach ministry? Mm. So, for youth pastors, think about ministry in terms of 18 years. You've got them four, five, six years, mm-hmm. and then you're going to hand them off to the next pastor. Mm. And pray that the seeds that you have planted will bear fruit as the next pastor does that. It sometimes seems unfair, doesn't it? Oh yeah. That these other pastors get all the fruit. But you know what? Your work is so vital and God has given you the unique skills but also this unique opportunity to do something frankly not many people can do. So you are unique warriors, unique soldiers. You're like special ops. Really. Who no one really knows about. Who never get thanked. Really and yet they're doing vital work behind the scenes. And so, the, so youth ministry is so vital. Youth pastors are so important. And I wish more pastors would listen to this podcast and perhaps hear me mm-hmm. and, and value and cherish and support and resource mm-hmm. their youth pastors because their ministry is going to have an impact on right. the senior pastor's ministry in 10 years. Right. And so, so, so helping them and doing whatever they can is important. So all that to say... Uh, that's my encouragement to youth pastors. Don't forget, don't forget, and remember uh, who you are and what you're doing and and, th- and have that long-term perspective.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Dr. Julius Kim, thanks so much for being with us and spending your time to to talk to, to me and to us as youth pastors and encourage us and really root us in our identity in the gospel. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. To learn more about Gospel Center Youth Ministry, please visit our website at www.mutedministry.com. Music has been provided by High Street Hymns. You can access their music at www.highstreethymns.com.
1: Alleluia, Allelu-